Well, hello there, wherever you're joining me today, on your couch or uh, wherever it is, we're glad that you're watching. I know that we all would love to be here in the room, but unfortunately right now, um, this is where we're at. And um, if you haven't noticed, I'm not Dion or Doug, I am John. And so um, they are having the week off. This is an opportunity here for me. And I promise you, um, just to squash any rumors, I did not give Dion uh, COVID so that I could speak. This was a, a thing planned a long ago to give them a break. So we're going to jump into it, this fresh series called Unbreakable Promises. It's all about how when things get dark and scary and hopeless, we can look at the promises that God has made to humanity and find comfort and courage in them and, and use those to get through the dark times. And ultimately, to me, as I was wrestling through this topic and this idea and I was exploring scripture passages, it was kind of a weird thing because I understand that darkness is obviously a metaphor in this situation, but I kind of like the dark. To me, the dark is, a, is kind of a nice time. I grew up in Florida and the darkness was really the only time that you could go for a walk outside or, or be outside in general and it not be above 80 degrees. It was a cool time. It was kind of pretty. Think about a starlit sky or maybe Christmas lights. Maybe you've begun hanging those up already, even this week. Cozy campfires and, and games especially are way better at night, right? Hide and go seek in the dark is a lot more fun than hide and go seek in the day. It's just something about it. It just makes games more fun. Me and my brother, we used to play this game. We didn't really have a name for it. I guess it was called Spies. I think that's what we called it. But basically, I would hand draw these little maps and they were just, I, I should have, I should have like saved one of them. I didn't realize they were going to be this like ancient relic in my family lore. But I, I'd make these little hand drawn maps of our house. They were just little blueprints and I'd hide them in little like nooks and crannies. And me and my brother, after bedtime, after we'd, faked sleeping long enough for my parents to leave the room, we'd get up and we'd plan and we'd get the maps out and we'd plot like, okay, we're gonna go here and here. And ultimately what we were doing is we would sneak through the house, we'd find our way to the, the kitchen and we'd hide underneath the kitchen table because that had a clear shot to the living room TV where my parents were watching TV. And really the, the goal of spies was to watch whatever my parents were watching when we were supposed to be in bed. And it was, it was just a lot of fun. My dad called us the underwear bandits and it was, a, it was a wonderful time. Many, many fun evenings after dark, hanging out with my brother, playing games, around a campfire, all those things. But that's not the whole story, is it? Darkness also has this kind of sinister side to it. I grew up around a lot of water, and whenever I think about it in this way, I, I think about a, you know, those times when I was skiing or, or tubing out in the water and I fell off. And it's so fun, and you're going along, but all of a sudden you find yourself floating in open water, and it's dark below you. And you, you know there are some creatures down there, but you don't know what they're going to do. And you just have this moment of anxiety and unknown and almost hopelessness as you're floating there in the ocean and the lake. Lakes are scary in Florida because there's alligators. And you just don't know what's gonna happen. And so this, this sort of sinister side is what we're talking about. The Bible um, uses darkness to kind of refer to, to sin or to unknown danger or maybe deadly times. It's kind of a, 
kind of a word that's used in all sorts of metaphors that are kind of not good, I guess is how I would say it. It's, it's, in fact, it's the very thing that God promises to get rid of. He's gonna push back the dark. That's kind of the, the end of scripture in Revelation. You have this, we're all you know, basking in the light of God and all darkness is pushed out and removed. Isaiah has this passage here. It says, I will lead the blind by the ways they have not known. Blind is kind of a, you know, you get the image of someone whose eyes have been darkened, someone who cannot see, and he's gonna take them somewhere new. He's gonna do something new. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them. I will make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. Pay attention to this, like, I will, I will, I will. This is promised language. God is going to turn the darkness into light. Isaiah wrote a long time before Jesus, several, several hundred years, around 700-ish years ago. It means that 2,700 years ago is when this happened for us, and we still have it, and we can still find hope and, and promise, and, and we and can engage this text in an interesting way that, that moves us, which is just kind of incredible how that all works. Because Isaiah wrote in a kind of a dark time in the history, uh, this was not like a happy, good kingdom moment. This was when the Assyrians were attacking the northern kingdom of Israel. So this guy named Sennacherib, I just remember his name because it sounds funny, um, but Sennacherib, the Assyrians, they're attacking and the whole nation is kind of wondering. See, back a few hundred years prior to this is when King David was around and King Solomon and everything was going great and, and the kings feared the Lord and it was good and, and the nation was looked at positively by the other nations and seen as a strong force. But a lot has happened over the last hundred or so years. So two, 300 years, it's gone down and down and down. People are falling into sin. King after king are being evil and evil king and evil king and evil king. And you kind of get the pattern and it's falling and it's falling and the borders are shrinking and they're shrinking. And this is in an important area, kind of on the east side of the Mediterranean Sea. It's the only land route between Egypt and kind of all the places north of the Mediterranean. So it's a very important piece of land. And so people really wanted it. And they're coming from all sides looking to take this place. And Isaiah is witnessing the falling of the northern kingdom. He's a southern kind of southern prophet. And so he sees this. And I don't know if there's any like real good way to modernize this for you. Maybe it's like if St. Louis County was here and a few counties up got attacked and they're coming for us. Like it wasn't a huge long distance. It's not like U.S. and Canada. This is just a few, you know, 100 miles or so. Eventually, Samaria, the capital, falls. Uh, darkness is kind of, this metaphorical darkness is falling over the whole of Israel. And they kind of see it coming. And Isaiah and, and all the people there in the southern kingdom are like wondering, how long can we hold out? How long can we live like this? How long can we live in fear of some foreign military campaign taking us over, making us slaves or killing us, or maybe at best case scenario, a second class citizen. Isaiah comes onto the scene in this dark time. And Isaiah, like most prophets, is actually not a very uh, 
immediately uplifting guy. Uh, today we look back on the prophets and we're like, oh, there's all this wisdom, it's great, we love it. Um, in those times when a prophet came to town, it was kind of like, uh-oh, what'd we do? Uh, it was this kind of moment of there's something wrong. The voice of God is about to speak to us because something has gone off, um, off the rails. And so he comes, and in this book of Isaiah, is kind of called a, a book of judgment and of promise. So there's kind of the, the dark side of like, hey, actually this isn't going to go away immediately. In fact, things are gonna get worse. And ultimately we know from history that things do get worse. For the next 700 years, things get worse and eventually we get to that kind of dark period between the, the Old Testament and the New Testament before Jesus comes along. And so this is what's gonna happen. But in the midst of this darkness, Isaiah gives a promise from God. He, he says this, um, he says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Now, quickly, for those of you who are not in the know, Jesse is famously known in the Bible as the son of Obed. So, I'm just kidding. That's, a, that's like a Bible joke, kind of. Jesse is the father of this great King David. You know, so they're all looking back in time. Oh, the good old days when King David was around. So the, the, this is what's happening. I don't know if you see it, but it's like the... It's this uh, understanding that from this darkness, there's going to be a savior that comes from this great kingly line. There's going to be life that arises from the great king's line. And the verse continues. It says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And then we get this kind of, all these internal things. So there is gonna be someone who comes. A savior is gonna come and this is what it's gonna be like. This is who he's gonna be. The spirit of, of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. I like that last line. I kind of read it in this like passive aggressive mom voice. Or you, or you, you know, you, they're trying to get you to do something, but they're not going to directly say it. See, the whole reason the whole nation is in darkness, the whole reason all these things are happening is because they didn't fear the Lord. They wanted to be like everyone else. They, they started to emulate all these other nations that are doing all sorts of evil things. And God's like, if you want to be like everyone else, then I'll let you be like everyone else. And he kind of removes his protection because they didn't fear the Lord. And so I, I just read this Isaiah, like reminding them, and he's like, and he will fear the Lord. Like it's kind of this, like you needed to do this and you didn't. But God keeps his promises. He's going to send Savior, he's going to redeem this. We, we look at a stump, we see this, you know, this is a metaphor here, obviously, for a, a fallen kingdom, and we think of a stump as something that's dead. It's, it's a tree that's been cut down or knocked over by some, you know, force outside itself, and now it's dead. It's going to wither away. It's going to rot. But what we see as death, God sees as life. God, God is not intimidated by death. Death has no power over the things of God. All the darkness and all the uncertain times that these people have found themselves in does not intimidate God. God is going to break through the dark and he's gonna do it himself because Jesus is on the horizon. This is the promise. So quickly, I wanna look at this verse kind of in two parts. First off, just that first line, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of the Lord, this is, uh, this is language that we get 
throughout scripture, and it's usually around uh, when something unknown is gonna be transformed, something creative and something uh, you know, interesting and new is about to burst forth. I don't know if you remember kind of how the Bible starts. Genesis uh, starts, starts like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you probably know this because most people know how the Bible starts, even if you're not regularly reading it. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I read this verse and there's just this like rumble that happens inside me. Like darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. It's from the darkness that all the good of creation is made when God speaks. It's from the unknown that God reveals his incredible wisdom and power and creativity. It's from the the depths, the unknown, the darkness that God creates and makes new and refreshes and brings light and pushes it out and turns it into something beautiful. So Jesus, this guy we've been talking about, Jesus, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might and the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. These, these things that we see, right? Jesus is gonna have a spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, fear the Lord. Does this ring true to you at all when you think about who Jesus is? See, Jesus filled with the spirit of wisdom is gonna do something new. He's going to do something that only wisdom can do, something that can actually break through the dark. He's gonna change things. It's not gonna just continue to descend and get worse and get worse and get worse, but there is hope that's gonna come and Jesus is gonna change things for these people and for the whole world. And wisdom, wisdom is knowing how to to navigate difficult situations in a God-honoring way. Because there's knowledge, there's knowledge, and then there's this side of it that's like understanding and experience and wise. And Jesus will have both. There's power, and then there's power that's directed properly by a fear of the Lord. And Jesus will have both. The spirit of wisdom that shines a light through the darkness for the people in Jesus' day and on to us as well. This is what we celebrate. This is the promise that the spirit of wisdom will break through the darkness and we can trust in it. Now the second half of this prophecy goes into kind of how he's going to apply these things. This is kind of the things he's gonna do. So he has all those attributes, he has all these things and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Wisdom is not found in our senses. It's found in this deep relational connection with the Holy Spirit. How often do we see with our eyes, we see brokenness, we see dirty, we want to personalize it, we see dirty people, and we cast judgment We look at the surface, maybe we overhear something that we disapprove of, 
and we judge it and we, and we, we, we cast our disapproval onto those people without any attempt at this prayerful connection with the spirit of wisdom, without any attempt to look deeper, look beyond our senses. A quick note on that word justice, by the way, and it's hard, it's hard to even say the word justice in America without it sounding political, but this is not what I'm talking about. Justice in the Bible is this kind of summary term for everyone has what they need. The word that's translated there in the Hebrew, it's, it's this word that's usually translated as like a flat area of land or like a, like a plateau or plateau, however you say that word, uh, a plain. The image here is that Jesus is gonna raise up all people to see their inherent value and, and inherent dignity, that they are loved by God. He's gonna raise up all these people, especially the broken and the poor. Justice through the lens of wisdom is not this kind of selfish justice that allows humans to just make value claims on, on other people. Justice through the lens of wisdom is this selfless justice that recognizes the God-given dignity in all people. So the people in that time, the Jews in particular, um, as we read the gospels, they often saw poor people, sick people, kind of the broken people as kind of deserving of their plight. Like they're poor and they're broken and they're dirty because, well, they must have done something bad and so that's why they have that. But I'm a good guy and I follow the rules and that's why I am looked up as a, a clean individual who's you know, respected by the, my neighbors. Which is why when Jesus, not just looking at externals, but really seeing the value of human beings, seeing that all people are, are dignified and valuable, that these Pharisees and these Sadducees and these wealthy people get so offended when Jesus kind of flips this around. They think, surely he can't speak for God. God is the reason that we have what we have, and God is the reason that they are so poor and broken. He flips this around. With wisdom, Jesus sees beyond the surface, and he brings dignity and love and justice for humanity, especially the poor and the afflicted. Last little bit of this verse here. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. The promise that Isaiah gives us through the mouth of God is that a savior will come and it's gonna be a savior who's full of wisdom and that wisdom will make things right on earth, a wise, a faithful and a righteous leader. And the best part of this whole promise of Jesus, the best part of this person who's gonna come and do things differently, who's gonna set a different example, is that that same spirit of wisdom that Jesus had has now been made available to all humanity. We all have access to the spirit of wisdom as adopted children of God. In fact, I think that it's the very thing that helps us even today break through difficult times. It's the thing that gives us comfort and courage and the, the ability to navigate these difficult situations if we access it. Kind of as we're getting towards the end, I just wanted to speak personally about my own coming uh, to know Jesus, my own kind of faith journey. See, I found Jesus through believing in what he said, through, through understanding that the wisdom of Jesus um, is actually true. 
Now, people come to faith for all, all sorts of reasons. Some people come because they have a spiritual experience. Some people come because they were invited in a community and they found comfort and, and hope in that community. The people there welcomed them and they found faith through that. Some people find comfort in believing the things that their mentors or their parents or people they look up to believe. And, and they ask them questions and they go, that makes sense. And they, and they follow that. We talked in this previous series about how different people kind of have different bents and uh, you know, respond differently to things. I'm in this really annoying specific group of people that will not believe something's true until I've been reasonably convinced of its truthfulness. Throughout the Bible, there's all sorts of wisdom and biblical claims that in Jesus, especially in the Gospels, he makes all sorts of claims about how to live and how, how we should treat each other and how, how it looks to live a life to the full. Like, if you do these things, life is better for you. If you live like this, life, you will, you will find blessing there. And if you don't, if you live this way, you're going to find darkness and despair. And so, for me as a young person, <clears throat> for me as a young person, I was like, I have, to, I have to see if that's even true. I don't want to just blindly believe these things. So after years and years and years, I'm not a guy who just likes this book. I claim to believe in Christianity after years of cross-referencing biblical teachings with reality, studying other religions, studying um, the claims and truth claims of naturalism and, and, and what Christianity says and what other religions and their worldview and their understandings. And I'm looking at it, I'm cross-referencing, and it's years and years and years, and I'm still doing this to this day. But what I've done over the last 15 years of doing this is I've come to find identity, vitality, and purpose because of the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God, the things that have been working on me for years and years and years have changed my life because I found them to be true when applied. When I've read these things, when I've, when I've looked at the promises of God, I've looked at the character and the person of Jesus, when I've read biblical wisdom and, and put it to the test, I have found goodness, I have found purpose, I have found identity. And it's really, really changed my life. And I think that you will actually find blessing there. If you engage with the wisdom, if you engage with the spirit of wisdom, I've been convinced of its truthfulness and, and maybe you're today in a dark place. Not like a pretty dark place, not like a Christmas lights hanging on the tree dark place, but like a not good dark place spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. I actually think that there is blessing for you found in the wisdom of God. I think it's the only thing that can enlighten our darkness. And I'm not saying that if you just start reading the Bible that things are just gonna get better for you. But maybe this is my kind of weird off, off way of convincing you to read the Bible. Because in it, there is so much truthfulness, so much goodness, so much uh, wisdom that can make practical steps forward in your life and on your faith journey that will affect how you see the world, and it will transform even the darkest of places in your life. And honestly, if you're not Bible savvy, which many people aren't, and that's totally fine, um, 
I recommend finding a friend or finding a mentor and exploring biblical wisdom together because I, I think it will make a huge difference in your life. And it will be a step forward in finding light in the dark places in your life. Pray with me. God, we know that you are alive and as wise and creative as, as ever. God, your, your spirit is hovering over the darkness of our life. And I pray that we would engage it, that we would connect with you, that we would reach out to your spirit and that we would be guided through the darkness, that we would find the hope and the life and the courage that we need to get through any situation, to get through any period in our life that just feels a little dim. So as we move forward today, I pray for myself and I pray for everyone who's listening to this, that they would take a step this week, that they would open their Bible, that they would engage you, that they would access your word, and they would prayerfully communicate with the spirit of wisdom and that they would be blessed because of it. And we thank you for your spirit of blessing. In your name I pray, amen.